Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to read from verses 1 to 7. God's been speaking to me about this passage this week. The Bible says in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. I want to speak to you today on the subject, no room in the inn. No room in the inn. I'm sure, like for many of you, Christmas is a time of celebration. I know that that is not the, the, the same reality for everybody and every family because of all the dynamics sometimes of family life and the memories that are connected to this time of year. And unfortunately, for some people, Christmas is a time of real loneliness. And uh, I, I think as the church, we need to be really proactive in making sure that no one gets left behind and that we reach out and love gives generously, and that we're inclusive in bringing people into our lives and our homes as we celebrate this time of year. And, uh, and for us as a family, it's a real time of celebration and participation in long-held family traditions. Growing up, my mum and dad would take my sister and I into the city to visit my windows and have a meal together, a time of celebration, reflection on the year, anticipation of all that was coming in the new year, and so we've continued that tradition together as a family, where in the week or so leading up to Christmas, we travel into the city, my wife and our kids, we uh, get a Santa photo, and it's interesting looking back at our kids getting taller and mum and dad getting older, and um, we have lunch together, and uh, we visit my windows, and then we go to St. Paul's Cathedral, and we spend time praying together, thanking God for the past year and praying in expectation for what God is going to do in the coming year. It's a uh, long-held tradition that means a lot to us as a family. And one of the common experiences when we go and look at my windows is seeing a long line of people muscling in to see the new creative elements of the windows celebrating the festive season. And often what you see is there is one window that is vacant and it's the window where baby Jesus is in the manger. And without exception, every single year, there is no one lining up to look at that window. No one is standing, muscling in, jostling, trying to, you know, they don't have security guards trying to sort of make room for people to see that window of baby Jesus in the manger. And Christmas has become so commercialized that the reason for the season has been lost in the haze of shopping and food preparation for that special day. The stats tell us that the average household spends about 40 hours of shopping and preparation time 
for what will take just a few minutes to open presents and probably less than an hour to eat the meal together on Christmas Day. Add to that the confusing mix of religious and secular symbols that proliferate our culture and our world. It's no wonder that a third of our population, according to one survey, has no idea whose birthday it is anyway. There was a department store in Tokyo and in the window it featured a jolly Santa Claus nailed to a cross. In another store, the three wise men were replaced by the seven dwarfs and advertising billboards here in Melbourne display baby Jesus wearing a Santa hat. So maybe this secular version of Luke's account of Jesus' birth is more fitting for the culture that we live in today. And this is it. And they were in the same country, children keeping watch over their stockings by the fireplace. And lo, Santa Claus came upon them and they were sore afraid. And Santa said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great great joy, which will be to all people who can afford them. For unto you will be given great feasts of turkey, dressing and cake and many presents. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the presents wrapped in bright paper, lying beneath a tree adorned with tinsel, coloured balls and lights. And suddenly there will be with you a multitude of relatives and friends praising you and saying, thank you so much. It was just what I wanted. That very rarely happens. And it shall come to pass as the friends and relatives have gone away into their own homes. The parents shall say to one another, oh bother, what a mess to clean up. I'm tired, let's go to bed and pick it up tomorrow on Boxing Day. Thank goodness Christmas only comes once a year. Tragically, I think the secular approach to Christmas has inched Jesus out of the conversation for much of our culture and much of the community that we find ourselves in. And yet the Bible not only points us to the reason for the season, but highlights why having no room for Jesus is not something new. Jesus' birth announced the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. And in Luke's account of Jesus' birth in verse 4, the Bible gives us some insight into Jesus' lineage being royalty. The Bible says, Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. In the Old Testament, Bethlehem was the city that produced the line of Davidic kings. And so the prophets foretold that Jesus would be born king of all kings and sit on David's throne. One of those prophets is the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born and a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, verse 7 says, And of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The wise men sought Jesus out to worship him as king. When Jesus came of age, he began his ministry announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All year, in different ways, we've been focusing and preaching on the kingdom of God. Jesus being a king means he wasn't just a cute, cuddly baby in a manger, but that he has ultimate authority over creation itself. Before Jesus ascended, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
And so if Jesus is king, we're not. And if Jesus says it, that settles it. He's not just the saviour of the world that saves us from our sin. He is Lord of our lives. He is Lord of all creation. And even though Jesus was born a king, Jesus was conceived under controversial circumstances. The Bible records in verse 5 that Mary was betrothed to Joseph and was with child. Now, that means Mary and Joseph weren't married. They were betrothed, meaning they were in a legally binding engagement that was only breakable by divorce. There was nothing kosher about a virgin all of a sudden becoming pregnant, particularly with the Messiah, the Son of God. Friends and family would have been gossiping, questioning, and assuming the absolute worst of Mary and Joseph. In fact, Joseph was so stressed out about the appearance of it that God had to warn him in a dream with an angel, send him an angel to get his attention to let him know, hey, this is really of heavenly origin and you need to honour her and you need to honour me by staying true to your covenant of intending marriage. Can you imagine anyone other than Elizabeth believing Mary's account of her immaculate conception. Oh, the angel Gabriel visited you, did he? That's a good one. Never heard of that one before. Oh, I told you, you'll conceive the Son of God. Very creative. How long did it take for you to work that one out? Can you imagine? I mean, seriously, the controversy, the circumstances surrounding your King, your Lord, your Saviour. This tells me so much about the God that you and I are in relationship with. Despite all the controversy, God ordained his son to be conceived right in the middle of suspicion. Controversial circumstances. God isn't limited by our expectations of how we think he should work in our lives. Just when you think you've got him all figured out, God comes along and messes up your theology your ideology, and every other ology, because he's God, he's king. He has a habit of breaking out of the boxes that we like to put him in. The Bible is filled from beginning to end of God breaking out of the boxes, messing up our preconceived ideas and conclusions of who he is. He speaks to Moses through a burning bush. When has that happened ever in all of human history. He splits an ocean in half so that there's dry ground just so his people can find safety. He stops the sun so that Israel can defeat their enemies. He raises the dead and doesn't ask the dead for permission. He has parties with sinners and prostitutes and frankly doesn't give an absolute rip what any of the religious authorities are saying about that practice. So I want to say to you today, let's stay flexible. Let's stay adaptable to the different ways that God wants to move in our lives. Heaven and earth shall pass away and his word remain forever. His word is what will stand throughout all eternity of time. There, are, there is such a thing as absolute truth, but the ways that God applies that truth to our lives and moves in our lives is we are called uh, uh, children of the wind of the Spirit of God, where the Spirit blows wherever he wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it's coming from. So in our lives, we must remember that the kingdom of God 
God is not a democracy where God's will is up for a vote. It's a theocracy where God's word rules and reigns no matter what is going on in the world around us. Jesus' birth was according to the providential timing of God. The Bible says in verse 6, while Mary and Joseph were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, as you read this passage, on the surface, it appears like politics determined where Jesus was born. But you need to know something. The ultimate influence was God Almighty who controls the course and narrative of history ultimately. That doesn't mean that everything bad that happens in the world is is because God calls it. There is this thing called sin and there's this thing called an adversary and a devil. It's amazing how quick people are to blame God for all the tragedies that happen, but we don't blame Satan. It's like the ultimate act of deception to get us to actually direct blame towards God when sin, our own self-centeredness, and Satan himself is the cause of everything that is terrible and evil about the world that we live in and yet live in. And yet even in the midst of that, the reality is God is the ultimate sovereign influencer over the course of all the cosmos and he's weaving his narrative and prophetic purpose and intention throughout the corridors of history. He is the one that guarantees that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2 prophesied it. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. I want to tell you in your life, there are no accidents or coincidences in God. It's so important that you understand today, God is not asleep on the job of your destiny. He knows where you need to be, where you need to be. And when you need to be there and whom you need to be there with. He knows it. I'll I'll be honest, leading Numa Church was not on any bucket list or 10-year plan. It's not like we woke up one day and said, oh, that's a brilliant idea. No, we were content fulfilling everything that God was calling us to do, sensing transition in our lives, not having any idea of what that looks like. But God knew where we needed to be, when we needed to be there and whom we needed to do that journey with. And so God has determined, the Bible says in Acts 17, 26, the allotted periods and boundaries of our dwelling places. Over the last couple of years, you may be, Ruining the fact that we've gone through what we've gone through. But I want to tell you, God must believe that you've got what it takes to get through what we've gone through. Because He has a purpose and intention and a destiny in mind for you and for us as a church and for this city of Melbourne. And for the nation of Australia and for planet Earth right now. That what the devil means for evil, God is going to turn into good. He has determined the allotted periods and boundaries of our dwelling places. In fact, Psalm 37, 23 says the steps of a righteous person, a good person are ordered by the Lord when he delights in their way. Though they fall, they shall not be cast headlong. They may fall seven times, but if the steps are ordered, you will rise again because God is for you and not against you. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, for everything, including pandemics, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And there is a time for this. And there 
is a time for that. What we've got to do is keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, no matter what time or season we find ourselves in. Not only that, but Jesus was born in the most unexpected place. Verse 7 says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him where? In a manger. Now, you'd think that the most appropriate place for the king of kings to be born would be in a palace, surrounded by wealth and palatial luxury, and yet, instead, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lord of all creation, was born in a dirty cave opening that the uh, archaeologists and scholars and historians mostly point us to, filled with all sorts of smells and dirt and sounds of farm animals. And the word manger is a really nice word for a feeding trough, where animals would come and feed from. I find it amazing that God never does anything by accident in His Word. The prophetic symbolism of Jesus being laid in a feeding trough has more significance than just the practicalities of it in that moment. You see, just as animals would feed in that feeding trough, so too would people come and feed on the bread of life, Jesus Himself. The Bible says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For whoever feeds on this bread, this eternal bread, will live forever. You see, the hunger and thirst of our souls cannot be satisfied by anything in this world. The things of this world come and go. We buy the t-shirt, we turn up to the event, we buy the object and we realise that satisfaction is fleeting, it's temporary. Nothing else in this world can satisfy the spiritual craving of your heart like the person of Jesus Christ. John 4.13, Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman and he says, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of the natural things, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That, that water will well up in you to be a spring of eternal life. And it won't just minister to the, to the areas of your own heart, but it'll minister to people around about you. This is what relationship with Jesus does. You see, if God can take a woman with five failed marriages fill her with living water, His Spirit, and use her to bring revival to a city. I want to tell you, no matter how many broken experiences you've been through, God can restore your heart. God can restore your purpose. He can restore your future. And He can use you to bring revival to a city in Jesus' name. If God can take a murderer like Saul and transform him into the Apostle Paul to, to actually administer the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Gentile world, you and I are direct recipients of his ministry. I'm telling you, God can take your worst, most vile act and he can wash you clean and he can transform your heart and he can use you to transform the known world that you and I live in. If God can take a thief, a career criminal, 
in the last hours of his life, forgive him and promise him, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm telling you, no sin that you've ever committed can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus when you come to him and say, would you forgive me also? He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, God takes the most unexpected of people and he births the most beautiful things in the most unexpected of places. Of all the details in Luke's account of Jesus' birth, the one that I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak into our culture, into our hearts and into our church at this time is that Jesus was born where room was made for him. Verse 7 says Jesus was laid in a manger. Why? Because there was no place for him in the inn. You see, inns in biblical times were known to accept all kinds of people. Criminals, prostitutes, crooked business people, all sorts of people. The hotel, the inn would allow, it would receive, it would welcome. But on the day when the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the fairest of 10,000, wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace showed up, there was no room. Just so happened to be no room in the inn. Could it be, I think about these sorts of things when I read the Bible, could it be that this innkeeper's sole purpose for existence was to make room for the Son of God? To be born in his hotel? That hotel manager would, will forever be known as the dude who had no room for Jesus. I mean... He missed his moment. The story, the narrative could be so different. It could be a tourist attraction right now where that hotel has been immortalized as the, you know, hotel where the Son of God, Jesus, was born. But no one's showing up to some hotel, some inn. Everyone's showing up to where they think Jesus was born and, and lots of uh, tourist guides and theologians and scholars and archaeologists and people who are educated about the exact location take tours of people to where they think no one's turning up to the inn today because it doesn't exist. It's a forgotten thought. It's obsolete. Forever in eternal writ, he will be remembered as the person who had no room for Jesus. If he is in heaven, I'd just like to go up to him and say, bro, I'm glad you're here, but what on earth were you thinking, man? I mean, not only just the practicality, she's pregnant, make room, move out of your room because they used to live in the inn at the time, get out, give the pregnant lady the space she needs to give birth to that baby. But there was no room in his heart. There was no room in the inn. And you need to understand that God births his purposes for our lives where we've made room for him in our hearts. If there's no room, there's no move. If there's no room, there's no birthing. If there's no room, there's no uh, encounter with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whatever room you give to God this Christmas time, he will fill it with his divine purposes for your life. And I felt the Holy Spirit as I was studying this passage challenge me to question you and question my own heart. Is there any room in your life for God to speak to you? Is there any room in your life for God to move through you? Or like the innkeeper, do you have a no vacancy sign over your heart because it's filled with all the cares 
and affairs of this life. You see, today, in our generation, in our culture, even in the church, Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts and he's asking us, is there any room for me to come in? You know, the Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. In other words, God is always knocking on the door of our hearts, wanting to occupy every single space of our lives. But often we're so busy, we're so preoccupied, even with good things, that there's no room for God to move, to speak, to do what He wants to do. And I want to tell you, frankly, to be honest, as much as I made room for God in my life, in my ministry, I want to tell you, and I want to encourage you today, let's make more room for Jesus as we move into a new year. Let's take the no vacancy sign off and let's allow the Holy Spirit not to simply stay in a feeding trough uh, 2,000 years ago, but to occupy every nook and cranny of our hearts, every area of our lives. I don't want any no vacancy sign over any room in my heart. I want God in every, to fill every space. The fullness of God. I want Him to be pleased to dwell inside of every single one of us. A mother was Christmas shopping with her two children. And after many hours of walking down row after row of toys with her kids, asking for everything that they lay eyes on, she finally made it to the elevator, feeling overwhelmed by all the pressures we all feel this time of year. Pressure to get that perfect gift. Pressure to go to another party. Pressure to prepare the food and write the Christmas cards. Finally, the elevated doors opened and she pushed her way in with her kids and all of her shopping bags in tow. And as the doors closed, she couldn't take it anymore. And she blurted out, whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found, strung up and shot. From the back of the elevator, a quiet, calm voice responded, don't worry, we've already crucified him. The rest of the trip down was so quiet, you could have heard a pin drop. And as we look at this gospel account, and as we consider what's happening in the world and how the world throughout human history the last 2,000 years has responded, 2,000 years ago an innkeeper had no room for Jesus in his inn. When Jesus came of age, the Pharisees had no room for him in their theology and they rejected him. The Romans had no room for Jesus in their ideology and they crucified him. And 2,000 years later, coming out, emerging out of a pandemic, God is coming to our generation and he's asking us today, will you be like the innkeeper? Will you be like the Pharisees? Or will you be like the Romans? Do you have any room in your heart? For me this Christmas? Do you have any room in your life for me to move in a fresh and dynamic way? Because I believe that this Christmas, let us not forget, Jesus is still the reason for this season and wise men still seek him. And I want to be one of those found. And I believe there's people in this room that want to be found as those who say, God, not just one part of my life, not just an hour and a half or so on Sunday, not just a little life group midweek, but Lord, I present my body as a living sacrifice. 
This is the only reasonable, rational, intelligent response of worship. In light of who you are, in light of what you've done in my life and what you've done in all creation, have all there is of me. And when we open up every room of our hearts to the Lord, God comes and he births miraculous, divine, heavenly, cosmic purposes in our lives for his glory and honour in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.